We are going to be in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 20 this morning. We started uh, chapter 1 last week, and so I want to invite you. And then also, um, just as a reminder, we have bridge Bibles, and it's almost like we forget that they're available. So if you ever need a Bible, when you come in, or you can do it right now, we have Bibles right at the door. And uh, I'll always announce the page number of the passage that we are in. So today we're on page 861, if you happen to pick up one of the Bibles uh, at the door. How many here know where Fort Leonard Wood is? I see two people. It's in south central uh, Missouri. That's how I pronounce it. I'm from Iowa, so that's how I pronounce Missouri. Um, Fort Leonard Wood is an army training base named after the man Leonard Wood. Leonard Wood has a long, distinguished military career and accomplishments, including receiving the Medal of Honor when fighting against Geronimo. He attained the rank of captain in 1888. He was a personal physician, so he was a surgeon and uh, a famous military person. He was a surgeon to Grover Cleveland and William McKinley, both presidents. Um, he helped organize a group called um, the Roosevelt Rough Riders. He did that with Teddy Roosevelt in, um, oh, is in the 1890s, and he helped organize the. the um, he was promoted to field general in 1898. He was the military governor of Cuba um, after the Spanish-American War. He was promoted to brigadier general in 1902. He became the army chief of staff under Woodrow Wilson in 1910. Uh, he received the Army Distinguished Service Medal and the Legion of Honor from France. And then he got to meet the king of France. And the king of France so liked Leonard Wood that he invited him to dinner, sent him an invitation to dinner for the very next day. And uh, so Leonard Wood got to the palace the next day, and he found the king walking in the halls. And the king was quite surprised to see Leonard Wood. Uh, the king um, said, why, Sir Leonard, I, don't, I didn't expect to see you. How is it that you're here? And then Leonard said, didn't you invite me to dine with you? Well, yes, of course, said the king, but you did not reply to my invitation. And then Leonard Wood came back with the most brilliant answer. He said, a king's invitation never has to be answered but obeyed. Now, that was a pretty quick thinking in an awkward social moment. But it's also a very good question. How do you respond to a king's invitation? More importantly, how do we respond to the invitation of the king of kings? And that's what brings us to our passage today in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. And we want to refocus on Jesus today. You know, it's really important because churches go through uh, sort of life cycles, and they, they do well, and then they get sloppy, and, and, you know, they just, sometimes they lose focus, and sometimes they just need to come back. And 
I'm not being critical of the bridge, but I just want us to stay focused on why we're here. And this passage, I think, will help us do that. Um, John has already been faithfully following Jesus for over 65 years when we come to the book of Revelation. In verses 9 through 11, we see John is called to follow. The situation in verses 9 and 10, John's writing around 95 AD. And uh, what's the significance? Well, think of that's just over 60 years past the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. Um, in verse 9, John says, I, John, that is John the Apostle John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, one of the 12 disciples, but not John the Baptist, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Um, he identifies with them as a brother in the family of God. John is just one of them. And he's their companion. He, he shares in their suffering. And the way he talks about it here, it comes just by being in the kingdom. Um, brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Um, John is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor, if you remember. And so he identifies as uh, their brother, and he identifies with their suffering. The emperor of Rome, and, and um, all of this area is under Roman authority. You know, Rome ruled the world from the city of Rome, and the emperor was next to God and often wanted to be worshipped. And Domitian, from 81 to 96, was no exception. And with him comes the second great persecution of the church. In the first persecution, the Apostle Paul uh, was, was beheaded, and, and the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down. John made it through that one. And around 86 um, years after A.D., John uh, was thrown into a vat of boiling oil, and he survived. And so he has been exiled to an island, an island of Patmos. Under Domitian, uh, Christians were executed. The, the bishop of Jerusalem was crucified in Jerusalem. There were other bishops or pastors that were uh, put to death. Christians were guilty without, and they were, and what, there was no issue about proving innocence. And they were given a chance sometimes to renounce their faith. And if they did not renounce, they were automatically guilty and punished. John says that he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos was a small island, like four miles wide and six miles long. And John worked 10 years in a rock quarry. And he was in his 80s and early 90s. Uh, I think he got this idea of, hardship, and suffering, and it was for the sake of Jesus. He goes on in verse 10, it says, on the Lord's day, and uh, he says, I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, you know, we often think of, well, the Lord's day, well, that would be Sunday because it, you know, it's the first day of the week. Um, but this is never used in scripture before, the Lord's day, like that. 
if it's meant Sunday, it's usually called the first day, and that means it, it was the day the Lord was raised. Uh, one of the other options here, and I, I personally think it's a better one, but there are good people that view it either way, whether it's the first day. The other one is, this is the day that belongs to the Lord, the day of the Lord, which is that time period in the book of Revelation from chapter 4 to chapter 22, where God will bring judgment on the earth, and Jesus is just about to show the whole thing to John. Uh, John says, I was in spirit, meaning something like he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit in such a way that John was given a vision into another reality, a reality that wasn't normal for him. And he, God was giving him something to see that, that Jesus wanted him to write down. He said, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And um, when it comes to suffering in the first century and when it comes to hardship in our lives, I think it's just a great reminder for us that suffering has always been included in the people of God's experience. And somehow, in our day and age, we just keep sliding to the idea that if we're Christians, we shouldn't have problems. God should always take care of us, and He will, but we want Him to take care of us the way we want. And uh, that's not the case. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in John 16, And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You can have peace no matter what your circumstances. In this world you will have trouble. Why do we think trouble is not normal? It is. And God uses it. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Um, we, Jesus has our back. He's going to be with us whatever trouble we were in. And that's what John understood. And, and he just was able to embrace that. We live in a world where people see things differently. Uh, we should never be surprised that people who are sinners act like sinners. We shouldn't be surprised that people who don't know Jesus yet don't act like Christians. And it's really sad when we see Christians who don't act like Christ followers. And we are to be encouraged that Jesus has overcome the world. And we are to follow him. And uh, we are not to focus on specific interest groups. It's about following him. The instructions are given in verse 11. He says, um, I heard behind me, so John has to turn around. I, I heard behind me a, a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we saw this last week. John is to write down on a scroll, and that will be delivered to seven different churches of the first century. These were people 
that he knew. Um, so, probably should see the maps again, just to remind you. We didn't see this map last week, but this, is, this has the seven churches. What's different this week about, there we go, nice and clear. Uh, what's different this week is this is first century, the first century world. Um, and, and so the little circle is the island of Patmos, very small island. The closest church is Ephesus. Actually, John has been the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And then Timothy became the pastor, and he's probably the pastor right then. And then if you go up to the left, we go to Smyrna and Sardis and Thyatira and per Pergamum, and we come back down to Philadelphia and, and uh, Laodicea. And those are the seven churches. Now, if we take the next map, this brings us into the 21st century, and it's going to—it's pretty hard to see. There we go. Um, so there are the current countries. You see Greece and Macedonia and Bulgaria, and then you see Turkey, a very large area. I know some people who live in Turkey. I know some missionaries in Turkey. I know some missionaries are going to go to Turkey. That's the place. Um, so we are called to follow, like John followed Jesus, called to follow. In verses 12 through 16, having the eyes to see. If we're going to refocus on Jesus, we need to have the eyes to see spiritually, to have spiritual perception on what he wants and what he has for us. Um, verse, verse 12, being in the right place. John was in the right place. He was on the island of Patmos. He was suffering for the cause of Christ. Je Jesus didn't deliver him. Uh, we could say that he lived through the vat of boiling oil. Okay, but I bet that oil hurt. The burns hurt. He was innocent. Yes, he suffered because of evil decisions made by evil people. John was right where Jesus wanted him. John was walking with Jesus. John was available when Jesus wanted to connect with him and show him what's next. And if we're going to have a spiritual perception about the future, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And it's so easy to be distracted and head off, put our energy in other directions. In chapter 1 and verse 12, John continues, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. He turned to see a voice. You don't usually see voices. That's a metaphor for the person. He's turned to see the person. And what he saw was the first thing that came to his mind. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And um, were these real lampstands? Um, I think, it's, I think it's figurative. I think he saw that, but I don't think they were like physical lampstands. Um, and it, the voice was Jesus standing among the lampstands. Now, we're also given a description of Jesus in verses 13 through 16, and it's pretty wild. Uh, try to picture what, what John writes in these words. He says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. Now, because of the Old Testament, 
And because of what we know from Daniel chapter 7, verses uh, 13 and 14, immediately this brings us to the focus of the Messiah, the, the Christ, and the Son of Man being Jesus, the term that he most often used of himself. And he's wearing this robe reaching down to his feet, and that's how a priest in the Old Testament dressed. And Jesus is here as a priest. And with a golden sash around his chest, not only was he a priest, this is how the high priest dressed. Jesus is the high priest in this vision that, he, that, that John has. And um, we know that Jesus is our great high priest in, in Hebrews chapter 4. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow. This depicts the purity and holiness of Jesus. And this is a very similar picture to Daniel chapter 7, the vision of God in Daniel 7 verses 9 and 10. And his eyes were blazing like fire. This is also mentioned in Daniel 7 of God. His eyes depict his role as a judge because he is the omniscient one. He sees all. Nothing is hidden from God. Verse 15, his feet were bronze like a glowing furnace. Mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. Showing his power in judgment. He is the almighty God. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I don't know what that sounds like, but it speaks of his power and his authority. Verse 16, in his right hand... He held seven stars. I wonder what they are. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. This is the same picture we have of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes at the second coming, and he comes in judgment. And the word for sword here is the powerful, large sword that's used in execution of judgment. And that's what he is going to do. But he, he only has to judge with his speech. He speaks the word, and it happens. He brings judgment when he chooses. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, just a display of his divine glory, totally opposite of darkness because he is truly the light of the world. How would you picture Jesus from Revelation chapter 1? What would it look like if you had to draw? What if you had to paint a picture? How would you do it? So let me show you a couple of uh, artist depictions of Revelation chapter 1. You know, you could say, well, that's not very good. Or you can say, wow. Or, so we, got, we have the, the lampstands. We have the sash. We have the white hair. Hard to tell about his feet. Okay, let's go to the next one. Here's another one. Wait, waiting, waiting, waiting. It's not going to become more clear. There we go. Uh, there's the seven lampstand. He's right in the middle. He's got the white hair. I don't, he's holding something in his hand. It's, I see the light. I can't tell if there's seven. Um, next one. I think we have one more. Okay, here's another one. Just an artist rendering. Question is, how would you do it? Takes quite an imagination. What did John see? Um, you know, it wouldn't have been an easy job at all. It would have been very difficult to try to 
to draw a picture of what we see in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 1. Now let's continue in verses 17 through 20. And it's about understanding the mystery. Um, John, think about this, John encounters his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. John knew Jesus when he was a younger man, when Jesus was young and when John was young. John was probably the youngest disciple. And John knew how human Jesus was. And John was there the night that Jesus was arrested. And John was there when he was nailed to the cross, and John watched him die. And John also was there after the resurrection. He went to the empty tomb. And now, he's seeing Jesus for who he really is, with his glory. And he gives, and he responds in worship in verse 17, a worshipful response. And when I saw him, John writes, I fell at his feet as though dead. He's just overwhelmed by the magnificent glory of Christ. Um, and this is the same Jesus the one that he has known for over 65 years. This is the same Jesus. Jesus told about some of these things, and now John sees it. And so John falls down, and it's like he's paralyzed. And then comes the comfort of God in verse 17. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. John, you're safe with me. John, I got your back. And uh, he says, just don't be afraid. I'm with you. And then his identity is revealed in 17 and 18. He said, I am the first and the last. Jesus is first. Je Jesus was before all things. Jesus came from eternity past. Jesus is the creator God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus was there, and it goes on to say that he created. Verse 18, he says, and he's also the last. When all is said and done, Jesus will be standing, or sitting at the right hand of God, or sitting on his throne. Um, when all is said and done, when this earth and everything we know it, know passes away. Jesus will establish a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom that will continue forever, and he will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 18, he says, I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. He, there's, this is such a great reminder. This is about the gospel. Um, it's amazing if you read through in the New Testament, how many times this idea is mentioned about Jesus dying for us, about him being raised again in our behalf. That is the good news. That's the gospel of our salvation. Um, he is alive, and Easter is really a big deal. Not that we have all this holiday I mean, we can have fun. It can be a great celebration, but it's about the resurrection. It's about what the resurrection means. He is the true and living God. He was dead. 
He died on a cross, and yet he was raised from the grave. Now he's alive. And it's just like I remember as a, as a non-Christian, uh, you know, trying to encounter the gospel and what that meant. And I just didn't get that he was actually alive now, even though that's part of the message. And I think there's so many people who think we have a dead Jesus. That's just, you know, one way to talk about history is, is to have Jesus be central. And he's dead and gone now, so that's nice. And he's a good example for us. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever in an eternal kingdom. And then he says, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has authority over death, all death. And Jesus has the authority over Hades. And this is probably a reference to a place where an unbeliever is separated from God and yet have not come to the lake of fire that we see the final uh, eternal punishment that comes in Revelation chapter 20. This is a separation from God now. I don't think it's going to be good. It's, it's sort of like the opposite. Of when a believer dies right now, they go to be with Jesus. But it is not the resurrection and it is not the future kingdom. It's just being with Jesus now. And Hades will be not being with Jesus now. Um, the keys, is, they're symbolic, and they, just, they represent authority. And Jesus has that authority. This is what Jesus alluded to in Matthew 25 in verses 31 and 32. Um, Jesus taught this to his followers, and we got to see this several weeks back. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is the second coming, this is Revelation 19, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Next slide. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. He has the authority to separate people. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then the next verse, I think it's 46, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, this is a group uh, that here are the goats and symbolizing the unbeliever, people who did not choose to follow Jesus. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus has the authority over death. Jesus has the authority over Hades. Jesus has the authority over hell. One of the encouraging things for us is we don't have to be there. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has pr pr provided the way. He's provided our way. He has authority over life. He has the authority to invite people into his life. Um, the order for the writing that John has is, comes in verse 19, and it's kind of helpful, I think, the order for writing. Um, verse 19, write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Now, personally, I think this is the outline to the whole book. I think... What John is to write is outlined here. Here's what I mean. 
starting with what you've seen. Revelation chapter 1. John has had this exposure to seeing Christ. This is at the beginning of the book. The church is undergoing great persecution, and they get to see the, the winner. They get to see the victor. They get to see the powerful Lord Jesus Christ, who is their Lord. And they're going to go through some hard times. But Jesus has got this. And he wants us to follow. And he wanted them to follow. That's what John has seen, getting them ready. And then, uh, secondly, we go on to say, what is now? What's going on in John's world in the first century? And that's the church. And that's Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And Jesus will address the church. And that's what we're going to look at in the next weeks. What is now? You know what? That applies to us because we're the church and we're still here. And Jesus is still using his church to carry out his mission. So this applies directly to us. And then he says, what will take place later? And that's yet future. And it's even yet future to us. And it begins in Revelation 4 and 5. And it's the throne in heaven before God. And then we go to Revelation 6 through 19. And we have this time of great struggle on earth. And it's called the tribulation period. And uh, we've identified it as a seven-year period going back to Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27. And then in, verse, in chapter 19, Jesus returns and he comes in judgment. And then we go uh, to chapter 20 and we go to uh, Jesus ruling on earth in the millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. And whether you think it's literal or uh, symbolic, uh, it's 1,000 years and it's mentioned six times. And I just take it literally. And then we go to Revelation 21 and 22, and we looked at that as well, the eternal kingdom. Um, and this all takes place in the new heavens and the new earth. And I know I can be a little confusing because I went to Revelation 22, and now I'm back in Revelation 1. In some ways, I think this will be helpful to see how it fits without going through every verse in the book of Revelation. We come to the interpretation in verse 20. John writes, and this comes from Jesus, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of seven churches. Who are the angels? And um, the word for angel is messenger. Um, They could be angelic messengers you know that's pretty common and that's kind of how it's written here an angel but it's just messenger the other option would be are these human messengers that happens three times in the bible where this word is used for human messengers now personally i think these refer to human messengers and not angelic messengers they would be messengers that would take john's message or his this book these scrolls these copies back to the churches somebody would get the letters to to the churches the messages Um, one of the reasons why i think it's human messengers is because so this all started in revelation chapter 1 verse 1 with um, god jesus sending an angel to john 
to write to the seven churches, why would Jesus send an angel to John to have John send the message to seven angels? And I personally just think this refers to the pastors or the human messengers that represent the seven churches, and they will take this message back to their own church. And then he says, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus is standing in the midst of the lampstands. He's standing in the midst of the churches. Jesus is bigger than their problems and their suffering. And Jesus is going to be with them all the way. And he's holding the seven stars in his hand. So when you think about a lampstand, what's the purpose of a lampstand? Well, look at this. What's missing? This is a candle holder. It's kind of a lampstand. You could have either a candle holder or a lamp. What's the purpose? Well, you know the answer. It's, it's to bring light. It's to display light. And Jesus is standing in the middle of the churches. And he is the light of the world. And Jesus wants his churches to show the world of darkness who he is. And when we shine, the world we live in has a chance to see what Jesus is like, who he is, and how he behaves, and how he loves, and how he forgives, and how he is kind, and how he is compassionate. Yes, he can be a judge. That's his role. He didn't call me. He didn't call the church. Yeah, we need to choose right and wrong. Our job is not to judge people. Our job is to love people, and our job is to take the message of the gospel to our world, a world that is very dark. I think a great passage is an application for us today is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and following. And, and the Apostle Paul writes, to do everything without grumbling or arguing. I think this is so crucial for the church today. Think of, the, think of what's going on in politics. We have Supreme Court decisions that people are upset about. We, 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 we have people in leadership that disagree with Christians. We have people who hate us. You know, we've just gone through uh, or maybe finishing up a pandemic and, and, the, and our country has been divided about that, about a number of issues that go with it. Throw in uh, inflation and how that impacts what we think of some people. And um, we're in a very conflicted situation. And it's so easy to argue with people. It's, it's, whether it's in person or on social media, it's so easy to argue. And guess what? That doesn't display Christ in any way. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless 
and pure. I think the church has done so much damage through COVID and the, and the elections and every, because there's been so much argument, so much heat given off, and the light has really been dim. And people aren't seeing Jesus. They're seeing Christians that they don't like. And it's not very attractive. It's not drawing people to Jesus. People aren't seeing the light. So that you can become pure and blameless, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, in a very dark time in history. Our job is to shine brightly and display Christ, not display our opinions. I, I know you already know that. I'm just reminding us, okay? Next slide. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of truth. This is what we're following. We're not following an agenda. We're following Christ. And when we do, we display light that shows who Christ is and what Christ is like. And um, we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me read, uh, this is the last passage. I just want to close with uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, this will help us refocus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. That's our example. We don't need to win any fights with people who disagree with us. I'm all for you having an opinion. How you express it, it can make all the difference. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our job is to follow Jesus and to focus on him. That was a great encouragement to the first century church, and that's meant to be a great encouragement to us. Um, Jesus has already endured the cross in our behalf. And that's today why we're going to celebrate communion. And this is going to help us refocus again. We, we do this to remember him. If we didn't, it would, it would become a side issue. It would become, oh, that's important, but there are all these things that are important. No, this is the central issue of who we are and why we're here. Um, we are to remember his death. We are humbly to remember his death because we have sinned. And God sent his son to be a solution, to provide a redemption, to pay the price, to pay the penalty. And Jesus was our substitute. His body was given on our behalf so that we might be forgiven. We have been pardoned, and we don't deserve it. We call it grace. Today we're going to share, and, and we have a sealed communion. We're still doing that. We have a sealed communion, and... 
We put, peel off the top, there's a little piece of bread inside, and then that's the first layer. Be careful about pulling off the second layer because the juice can spill because these don't open easily all the time. And then we have the juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. As I understand the scriptures, we do this to remember. This is, these are symbols to cause us to remember what Jesus did for us. His body and his blood shed for our behalf. We have an open communion, and we invite all who are Christ followers to join us in communion. And we have a little bit uh, different uh, setup in our room than we've had in the past for communion. And so what I'd like us to do, so we're going to, if you're a follower of Christ and your heart's right with God this morning, we're going to invite you to come and just take one, uh, come down these two aisles, and then just go to the outside and you can go back to your chairs. So um, I want to pray and then uh, we'll take time to share this time together. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we're uh, grateful for the reminder from Revelation chapter 1 of our need to refocus on Jesus and to keep him central in our thinking and in our lives. And God, we have come to honor you today. We're, we have come to give you thanks for what you've done for us. That because of your love for us, you would send your son. Sometimes we act like we deserve it or we even think like we deserve it. And yet, the truth is, we don't deserve it at all. It's, it's by grace. It's because of you, what you have done, your gift. Thank you. Thank you for um, Jesus' life. We thank you for the bread today that reminds us of the body that was sacrificed. And we give you thanks for the cup today that reminds us of... Um, his blood that was shed on our behalf. God, let us examine our own lives as we process this. Are there things that we need to confess to you, that we just need to be honest to you, that we need to ask for forgiveness, that we need to just go back to 1 John 1, 9 and be reminded if we confess our sins as Christ followers, that you will forgive and purify us of all unrighteousness that our lives might be cleansed. If we came in with unresolved things with you today, that we might leave today with a clean slate. Thank you that Jesus died for us. We thank you for the bread and we thank you for the cup. In Jesus' name, amen.